Uh, just a disclaimer. Um, I've been battling an upper respiratory infection all week, and uh, I'm about 65% been on antibiotics. I don't have a disease, all right? I may cough up here, uh, but I'm fine. I'm not going to contaminate anybody. Uh, but just want to let you know, I'm only at 65%. I may not get out of third gear. We'll see what happens, all right? So I need extra love this morning. Hey, I want to start off with the first of scripture uh, that was written 3,000 years ago by a warrior king named David. It's Psalm 22, verse 1. I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Question, is anybody out there glad this morning? Glad to be in the house of the Lord? Glad that people like us, fallen, finite, and frail, can come into the presence of the creator God, the sovereign king, of the universe. Glad that the sovereign king would actually welcome us into his presence. I mean, like, we must never forget the truth that we have gathered in this room to worship and honor the God who created all things, the God who's before all things, and the God who holds all things together. 3,000 years ago, David the warrior king said, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Brothers and sisters, what say you? And listen, if you're not glad, it's time to get your glad on. Amen? Turn to your neighbor and say, get your glad on. Get that glad on right now. All right. I don't know what that means, but get it on. Now this morning, after our break for the Easter season, where we celebrated the truth that the resurrection changes everything. It changes our past by freeing us from the pain of regret and the prison of resentment. It changes our present by making us a new person and giving us a new power and a new purpose. And it changes our future by securing our guaranteed awesome forever, which gives us hope no matter whatever we face. And Maple Grove, the only proper response to Easter is to believe and to Were you all here last week? I gave you two words. <laughs> Believe and go. <laughs> I say believe and you say and go. Believe. 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 All right. You'll forget already. Anyhow. Wow. Talk about making me feel good about what I do every week. <laughs> Two stinking words. Is it. Anyhow. Anyhow, this morning we're jumping back into a verse-by-verse study of the gospel of Matthew, the king and his kingdom. And understand, Matthew and his gospel, the one thing he wants us to make sure we're aware of is that Jesus is the promised king. In fact, he makes this clear from the very beginning. Matthew begins his gospel with his genealogy where he shows us that Jesus has the legal authority to the throne of David, tracing his family line from Abraham to David to Joseph, Jesus' earthly father, and Jacob, father Joseph, the husband of Mary, who gave birth to Jesus, who's called the Messiah. In his birth, Matthew tells us that, that Jesus fulfilled what Isaiah wrote about the, the promised king. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Good job. Matthew 1.23. In chapter 2, Matthew tells us that wise men from the east follow God's star to worship and bring honor to the one who has been born king of the Jews. Matthew 2, verse 2. In chapter 3, like any king would have a forerunner announce his coming, Matthew gives us JTB, John the Baptist. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And then to give us Jesus' moral authority, Matthew gives us his baptism and God's proclamation, this is my son whom I'm well pleased, followed by Jesus' victory over the evil one, his temptation in the wilderness. Away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended him, Matthew 4, 10 and 11. And then in Matthews 5 through 
7, Jesus goes up onto the mountain alongside the Sea of Galilee and gave what is known as a Sermon on the Mount, his Kingdom Manifesto, a manifesto we spent 38 weeks diving into together, a manifesto about the values, about the ethics, about how life is actually lived when Jesus reigns as king in the life of those who follow after him. And when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teachings because he taught as one who had authority. Who had what? Authority. And not as their teachers of the law. If you were asked Matthew to describe Jesus in one word, I think it would be the word king. And Maple Grove, I think we have lost that Jesus is the king in many respects. In fact, I'm not sure we want a king. Instead, I think we want a friend. Uh, we want a buddy. We want a shoulder. Uh, we want a God who makes our life better, but who does not make demands or interfere in how we want to live our lives. However, God knows what we need better than what we know what we need. And God knows we need a king. And so he gave us Jesus. And listen, as king, Jesus has the authority to speak into everyone's life. You've heard it said by the religious leaders, by culture, by philosophers. But I say unto you, as King Jesus has the power to rule over nature, over sickness, over demons, over sin, over death, over the grave, and over you and I. As King Jesus has a desire to include everyone in his kingdom. As King, he has the right to reward. Well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and enter my joy and happiness. Again, the first seven chapters of Matthew, Matthew wants us to know that Jesus has legal authority to the throne of David, that he was born to a virgin as a promised king who's Emmanuel, God with us, who was announced as king by John the Baptist, worshiped as king by the wise man, proclaimed by God as his son, and as king defeated the evil one, and on the hillside unveiled his kingdom manifesto. Paper Grove, that's the first seven chapters of Matthew. Why did it take us 46 weeks to get there, right? I know that's what you're thinking. And this brings us to Matthew chapter 8. When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. Listen, it's here in Matthew 8 and also in Matthew 9 that we see the authority of Jesus as king demonstrated. In other words, in Matthew 8 and 9, Jesus begins giving proof through Signs and wonders that he is who he said he is. And here's a, a basic outline of Matthew chapter 8 and 9. The authority of the king demonstrated. Uh, first, we have three miracle stories, Matthew 8, 1 through 17. Then we have two descriptions of discipleship, and this is in your notes, uh, Matthew 8, 18 through 22. Uh, then we have three miracle stories, Matthew 8, 23 through 9, 8. Then we have two descriptions of the discipleship again, and then followed by three miracle stories. And listen, in these chapters, we will see Jesus touch the untouchable, love the unlovable, heal the unknown, claim, I mean, calm the uncommable, heal the broken, call the outcast, raise the dead, open blind eyes, challenge what it means to follow after him, and cast out darkness. And here's the deal. Here's the point that, that Matthew wants to make that he's driving home in these two chapters. That King Jesus has absolute authority in the world and therefore he warrants absolute allegiance from the world. Amen? Amen. Hey, let's do this. Here's our text. <clears throat> when Jesus came down from the mountainside, after giving his manifesto, large crowds followed him. A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing. Someone say, Lord, if you are willing. You can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said. Be clean. Immediately, he was cleansed of his leprosy. And Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gifts Moses commanded as the testimony to them. Uh, this is our text this morning. And before we dive in, a few quick commercial breaks. Number one, we have an all-church breakfast 
coming up. That's my hand right there. How you like that? Is that, is that? is that creative? Anyhow, here's the deal. Here's the deal. Like, my life group is doing this, and no judgment if you're not coming. But I'm going to ask, not yet, if you're coming, just to stand up. Because I don't want to cook for 30 people if they're 10. If only 10, if you want to stay in, no judgment. You want to stay and eat breakfast at home, I'm totally cool with that. But I want to cook for 10 if 30 are coming, right? So an idea, right? And, and this is on video, right? Okay? But stand up if you're coming to the breakfast, the free breakfast next week, all right? All right. Free breakfast. Here we go. All right. No judgment if you're not going to make it. All right. Okay. So, okay. All right. Cool, cool, cool. All right. Uh, Y'all there, um, sit down with the losers, all right? No, kidding. (laughs) I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Huh? Okay. So that's next week. 9.15, we'll start serving. Be done about 9.45. Just the time, right? There's something about eating food around a table with other Christians, you know, and having conversations that's valuable. I always cook extra, so I'm going to cook for about 30 or so. Um, and and uh, pancakes, bacon, right? You know, bacon is a good thing. And, and uh, scrambled eggs, stuff like that. Um, every fifth Sunday, we're going to do this. And our life is going to cook for you, all right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> is there going to be air, right? Yeah, absolutely going to be coffee. Um, and, and, and just another real quick announcement, right? Courtney hammered you on this a little bit. Maybe. Do we have the Compassion Sunday picture? No, we don't. Okay, never mind. Forget I said that. Compassion Saturday. I need to sign up. And we're going to take two. Woo! <laughs> take two. Get up and welcome those around you. That's what that means. <laughs> Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in your house today. Go. For being your people. Be able to praise you, to hear your word. Thank you for all the conversations we get to have in here. Thank you for your church. And God, I pray that uh, the next few minutes we share together, Father, will honor you. And I pray it makes a difference in us so that you can work through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, when I was a young kid growing up in elementary school, uh, the most dreaded disease in my world was not measles, mumps, or chickenpox. It was a more subtle and Mysterious disorder. There was no vaccine, no antidote, no known cure. It was highly contagious. And nobody ever elaborated what would happen if you contracted a disease because everyone knew exactly what the consequences were. I mean, the mere mention of the particular disease was enough to make, was enough to strike terror in me and my friends. It was a fate worse than death. In fact, the only way to safe was to make sure that all the carriers of this disease were strictly quarantined and that you had no contact with them. Fortunately, it was easy to recognize. The disease was carried by girls. And every girl except my mother was loaded with it. The name of the disease was the dreaded cooties. And listen, all a carrier had to do was touch on you, breathe on you, or look at you real hard, and you were infected. Now, nobody was crazy enough to touch someone with cooties. It's like every carrier wore a big sign that said, don't touch me, get away, I have cooties. Well, I was looking for an image for cooties. There was actually a movie about, called Cooties. It looks pretty stupid, but I, I never saw the movie. But the premise is a bunch of kids at a school eat tainted chicken nuggets and become zombies. All right? <laughs> It seems pretty dumb, but I didn't know such a movie. There was even a sequel. They'll make a sequel out of anything because they have no creativity today. Anyhow, but again, I actually do remember talking about cooties as a kid. And as silly as it seems, no one ever wanted that label on them. Ooh, he has cooties. What a day to talk about cooties, right? Steve has cooties. Get away. No, I don't have cooties. But girl, we live in a world where there are a lot of people who are untouchable. A lot of people where they have been diagnosed with cooties. And as a result, they are at best ignored. At worst, they are ridiculed and attacked. You see, because of the color of their skin, their economic status, their language, their education, their physical appearance, 
or some wrong choices they made in the past, they have found themselves on the lowest rung of the ladder at the bottom of the food chain, untouchable. That's for many people, the world, in a real way, points their fingers at them and says, do not touch. Ooh, don't go near them. They have cooties. It, It may be the homeless guy on the street corner holding up the sign whose eyes you try to avoid contact with as you pass through the intersection. It may be the guy or girl at school who, because of their intelligence, the way they dress or how they look, are forced to sit alone on the bus or in the cafeteria. It may be that person at the office who's just a little odd, talk about strange things, always seem to have bad breath. You know, the one everyone makes fun of? Of course, behind their back. It may even be the person at church who's not all that outgoing, hard to talk to, socially awkward, who's just different. You know, the people we avoid when we walk down the hallway or when we're grabbing our seat in church or at the monthly mission meal. Yes, the world is full of untouchables. It's full of people who are on the outside looking in. And you know what? The truth be known, all of us at certain times and certain situations know what it feels like to be unacceptable, unworthy, outsiders, untouchable. And listen, this encounter Jesus has in Matthew 8, 2 through 4, illustrates how Jesus feels about the people this world would rather avoid. You see, this man comes to Jesus, he has leprosy. And according to Luke 5, the parallel passage, Dr. Luke tells us that it wasn't a, a minor case that he had, but he was filled up. He was covered in every bit. He was permeated with leprosy. Now let me take a moment to describe what leprosy is like. The most common form of leprosy in Jesus' day began with a general sense of weariness and pain in the joints. After that, patches would appear on the skin, which were horrifying to the person that saw it because they knew it was like a death sentence. These patches would grow into nodules or lumps around their face, so pretty soon they would be unrecognizable. These Lungs would break open, and there would be a foul stench coming from the person's body. Eventually, the eyebrows would fall off. Pieces of the nose and ears would break off. The vocal cords would ulcerate, so the voices would become hoarse. Breathing became very difficult. Then there would be the loss of sensation, which is the most dangerous part of leprosy. You see, a leper could cut himself, burn himself, break a bone, and never know it because they didn't feel pain. Question, can you imagine a group of people who actually would view pain as a good thing? We spend our life trying to avoid pain. They would actually think that would be a great thing. Several years back, Laurie and I led a mission trip to the DR, Dominican Republic, with about 35 students from around the U.S., and one day we visited a leper colony. I'll never forget it. We went there, and we took them goodie bags, and, and listen, their physical appearance was just like you read in the Bible. To be honest, I think most of us were a little bit nervous. Some we went into the room and dropped the bag off at the door. Eventually we gathered in, in, a, in a big area and, and many of them came in and, and, and they were disfigured. And And I was asked, you know, off the cuff, and it was coming, hey, would you share something with them? And I, I, I did a quick Holy Spirit prayer, help me. I'm not sure, all, you know, what, what do you say? You know, I, I'm not sure what I said, but I think it was effective, and I think it was the Holy Spirit. And, and then, whenever I sing this song now, I always think of it. Then this group of us, we sang, you know the song, Beautiful Things? Uh, we sang that song to a bunch of lepers. You know, the, the, and I think part of my message with God will make beautiful things. You know, we, one day, all your disfigure will be gone. Uh, one day, all the pain will be gone. Because God can make beautiful things. So incredible. You see, as bad as the physical effects, the social effects were worse. When a person had leprosy, they were banished out of the city. They were kept outside the city gates. Families were torn apart. Lives were broken with despair. 
And when lepers came into the city, they were forced to cover themselves from head to toe and cry out, unclean! So that people would avoid contact with them. Some rabbis went on record to talk about how they made sure they set a distance by chunking stones at them. Others said, hey, we will not even eat an egg bought on the street where a leopard had been. Being a leopard was a horrible thing. I'm sure it cost many, if not most, to wonder if God had abandoned them by, by allowing it or cursed them by causing it. In scriptures, the leopards were the ultimate symbol of the outcast. Infected by a condition they did not seek, rejected by those who knew them, avoided by those who did not, condemned to a future that they could not bear. In a chapter in his book, Just Like Jesus, Max Lucada, as only he can do, tells a story behind the man we meet in Matthew's gospel. And try to put yourself to this man's sandals as I read what Max wrote. For five years, no one touched me, no one. Not one person. Not my wife, not my child, not my friends. No one touched me. They saw me, they spoke to me, but I didn't feel their touch. There was no touch, not once. No one touched me. What is common to you, I covet it. Handshakes, warm embraces, a tap on the shoulder to get my attention, a kiss on the lips to steal a heart. Such moments were taken away from my world. No one touched me, no one bumped into me. What I would have given to bump into someone, to be caught in the crowd, to have my shoulder brush up against another shoulder, But for five years, it's not happened. How could it? I was not allowed on the streets. Even the rabbis kept their distance from me. I was not permitted in my synagogue, not even welcomed in my own home. I was untouchable. I was a leper. Oh, how I repulsed those who saw me. Five years of leprosy have left my hands twisted. Tits of my fingers were missing, as were portions of my ear and my nose. At the sight of me, fathers grabbed their children, and mothers covered their faces. Children pointed and stared. Some think I sinned. Some think my parents sinned. I don't know. All I know is I grew tired of it all, sleeping in the colony, smelling the stench. I grew so tired of the bell, I was required to wear around my neck to warn people of my presence as if that was needed. One glance, and the announcement began, unclean. Unclean, unclean, end quote. Listen, here's the deal. Like the leper, many people today suffer from a condition they did not create. They are rejected by people they know, avoided by those they don't, condemned to a future they cannot bear. Understand, they didn't ask for those wounds. The pain and the heartache they carry are not of their own choosing. But nevertheless, like the leper, are put, they are put outside the city gates. One author writes this. The divorced know this feeling. So do the handicapped. The unemployed have felt it, as have the less educated. Some shun unmarried moms. We keep our distance from the depressed and the terminally ill. We have neighborhoods for immigrants, convalescent homes for the elderly, centers for the addicted, prisons for the criminals, The rest simply try to get away from it all. Only God knows how many are in voluntary exile. Individuals living quiet, lonely lives, infected by their fear of rejection and the memory of the last time they tried and everyone turned away. They choose not to be touched rather than to risk being hurt again. End quote. 2,000 years ago, a man covered with leprosy came, fell on his knees with his face to the ground and begged him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You know those last nine words? And the reason this is in parenthesis, I I grabbed those from Mark and Luke's account. He begged him. And those last nine words, if you are willing, you can make me clean, really jumped out to me. Like, why did he say that if you're willing? Like, like, why did he think Jesus wouldn't be willing? You see, he didn't question that if Jesus could do it. Un- unbelief wasn't his problem. He just didn't know if Jesus was willing to do something for him. 
I don't know, perhaps all those years of having other people avoid him, shun him, ignore him, ridicule him, throw stones at him, isolate him, have made him feel pretty unworthy. Jesus, I know I'm pretty disgusting. I know I'm not worth very much. I know that you could heal me. But I don't understand if you don't want to. I mean, who could blame you? I mean, look at me. No, don't look at me. Sorry for bothering you. I, 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 think I'll, I think I'll just go now. I'm probably not worth your time. Question, is that where you're at this morning maybe? Or you know somebody? At a place that though you do not doubt that Jesus can do something about your condition, about your life, about your problems, about your struggles, about your doubts, about your fears. You do doubt because of the way you see yourself that Jesus would be willing to do anything about that for you. 2,000 years ago, a man covered with leprosy came, fell on his knees, with his face to the ground and begged him, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion. Mark tells us that. Understand, when Jesus saw this guy, and when he heard those words come out of his mouth, if you're willing, you can make me clean, he was filled with compassion. That word for compassion is one of my favorite words in the Bible. Greek words. Splagna. Splagna. Right? Yeah. Say it with me. Splagna. Splagna. Okay. All right. Say it with force of your neighbor, then wipe the splagna off of them, right? Okay. Splagna, right? It, it literally means that, that his guts were stirred. You see, what, what Jesus saw, a man being destroyed by a terrible disease, and what he heard, the voice of someone who did not think he was worthy to be healed, it deeply bothered him. Like it tore it up, it turned his guts. Some earlier manuscripts actually say that when he saw and heard, he was filled with anger. Anger at this terrible disease that was not part of his original plan. <laughs> anger that this man created in his own image felt so unworthy, so alone. Anger that this man would feel that not even God would want to help him. Now, I'm sure this leper was blown away by how Jesus treated him. A man labeled as unworthy and untouchable. But it's not, it should not surprise us because of who Jesus is, God in the flesh. Listen, one thing that was apparent in all the scriptures that were written prior to Jesus' arrival is that God has always been concerned about the pain, about the sorrow, and the hurt of his people. Uh, just a few examples. Exodus chapter 3, 7 and 8. Uh, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I'm concerned. Someone say, I am concerned. About their suffering. God's concerned about your suffering. Whatever you're going through right now, God is concerned about it. But listen, our God does not sit in an ivory tower with his concern I'm concerned about their suffering, so I have come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land. God wants to bring you up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Brothers and sisters, God sees, God cares about what you're going through. Not only that, but he can do something about it. He can rescue you. He can bring you up out of and into a new and better place, to a good and spacious land. God has always had a special place in his heart for those who live on the margins of society. In fact, there are nearly 400 passages in the Bible that speak of God's concern for the orphan, the widow, the prisoner, the alien, the homeless, the poor, the hungry, the sick, or the disabled. Deuteronomy 10, 18 and 19. He, he defends the cause of the fatherless and the widow and loves the alien, giving him food and clothing. And you are to love those who are aliens, for you yourselves were aliens in Egypt. Question. Have you ever, in the, in the midst of your hurt and 
pain, felt like God didn't care? That he, that he didn't see your cries or see your pain? That he must have forgotten about you? God's people in Isaiah today felt that way. They were hurting, the pain was real, the situation was hopeless. To make matters worse, they thought God either forgot them or God did not care what they were going through. Here's God's response in Isaiah 49. Yet Jerusalem says, the Lord has deserted us. Ever feel that way? The Lord's forgotten us. God's response, never. Can a mother forget her nursing child? Can she feel no love for a child she has born? But even if that were possible, and ladies, it's not possible, is it? It's not possible for you to get your child. You may want to sometimes, but not for long, right? But if that were <laughs> if that were possible, I would not forget you. See, I have your name written on my hand. Ever before me is a picture of Jerusalem's walls and ruins. Ever before me are, is a picture of the things in your life that are broken that should not be broken. Listen, this morning. In fact, every morning, God says the pain, the sorrow, the broken things in your life matter to him. Understand, as you flip through the pages of Scripture, on nearly every page you see a God who cares deeply about the hurting and the outcast. A God who's passionate about helping people, defending those who need him, rescuing those in trouble. And that's why Scripture repeatedly calls God a shelter, a fortress, a rock, a stronghold. A strong tower. Why? Because that's exactly what hurting people need. A rock, a shelter, a refuge, a strong tower. Just a few more passages about how God feels about the hurting the outcast. Psalm 68, 4 and 5. Sing praises to God and to his name. Sing loud praises. Oh, I like that. Sing loud praises to him who rides the clouds. His name is the Lord. Rejoice in his presence. Father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God. Someone say, this is God. God. You know who God is? He's a father to the fatherless. He's a defender of widows. That's who our God is. His dwelling is holy. God places the lonely in families and sets the prisoners free and gives them joy. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those who are crushed in spirit. Psalm 56, 8, you keep track of all my sorrows. You've collected all my tears in your bottle. You've recorded each one in your book. I mean, what powerful pictures about our God. A father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, placing the lonely in families, setting the prisoner free, giving them joy, being close to the brokenhearted, resting those crushed in spirit, collecting their sorrows in a bottle, keeping track of their tears. This is our God. Amen? Amen. So he is. 2,000 years ago, a man covered with leprosy fell on his knees with his face to the ground and begged Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched him. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately he was clean of his leprosy. Like instantly, the raw sores and dead flesh and missing parts of his nose, ears, and hands, his insensitive nerves were restored to perfect health instantly. Demonstrating the absolute authority of Jesus. Again, another quote from my man Max, because no one can say it like he does sometimes. And he says, here's what this leper was thinking that day. Again, imagine. Of course it was risky. Of course it was reckless. What did I have to lose? He calls himself God's son. Either he will hear my complaint and kill me or accept my demands and heal me. Those were my thoughts. I came to him as a defiant man, moved not by faith, but by desperate anger. God had wrought this calamity on my body. He would either fix it or he would end it. But then I saw him. And when I saw him, I changed. Before he spoke, I knew he cared. Somehow I knew he hated this disease as much. No, he hated it more than I did. 
My rage became trust and my anger became hope. From behind a rock, I watched him descend a hill. Throngs of people followed. I waited until he was only paces from me and I stepped out, master. He stopped and looked in my direction. As he did, so did dozens of others. A flood of fear swept across the crowd. Arms flew in front of faces. Children ducked behind parents. Unclean, someone shouted. Again, I don't blame them. I was a huddled mass of death. But I scarcely heard them. I scarcely saw them. Their panic I'd seen a thousand times. His compassion, whoever, I'd never seen. Everyone stepped back except him. He stepped forward toward me, toward me. Five years ago, my wife stepped toward me. She was the last to do so. Now he did. Didn't move. I just spoke, Lord, you can heal me if you want to. Had he healed me with the word, I would have been thrilled. Had he cured me with the prayer, I would have rejoiced. But he wasn't satisfied with speaking to me. He drew near to me. He touched me. Five years ago, my wife had touched me. No one had touched me since until today. I am willing. His words were as tender as his touch. Be healed. Energy flooded my body like water through a plowed field. In an instant, in the moment, I felt warmth where there had been numbness. I felt strength where there had been atrophy. My back straightened, my, my head lifted. Where I'd been eye level with this belt, I now stood eye to eye with his face. He was smiling. He cupped his hands on my cheeks and drew me so close that I could feel the warmth of his breath and see the wetness in his eyes. Don't tell anyone about this. But go and show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded for people who were made well. This will show the people what I've done. And so that is where I'm going. I will show myself to the priest and embrace him. I will show my, myself to my, my wife and embrace her. I will pick up my daughter and I will embrace her. And I'll never forget the one who dared to touch me. He could have healed with the word, but he wanted to do more than heal me. He wanted to honor me. Imagine that. Unworthy of the touch of man, yet worthy of the touch of God. 2,000 years ago, a man covered with leprosy fell on his knees with his face to the ground and begged Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. Filled with compassion, Jesus reached out his hand and touched a man. I am willing. He said, be clean. Immediately his skin was cleansed of his leprosy. Now, there's two things I, I, I want to say as we wrap up this morning. And here's the deal. Either one or both is what God wants to say to you. And so I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, you need to listen up. Uh, a little more passion. Hey, you need to listen up. Listen up. Listen up. For some in this room, Jesus is saying, some with struggles and doubts and fears. Wondering if he really wants to help you, he's saying, I am willing. Understand the truth is, some of you are lonely. Some of you feel like outsiders even in here. Some of you have problems and issues and struggles and insecurities. Some of you feel ashamed and unworthy of the touch of Jesus because of some sin or mistake in your past or in your present. And some of you just don't like where your life is right now or where it's headed. And listen, nearly every one of you believes that Jesus has the power to do something about your condition. But like the leper, because of how you see yourself, you're not so sure that Jesus wants to do something to help you. But remember, Jesus embraced the leper while he was still covered with leprosy. Listen, his condition did not turn Jesus off or turn Jesus away, and neither will yours and neither will mine. In fact, it was his condition that caused Jesus to turn to him in the first place. Bottom line, if you feel alone, hurt, isolated, shut out, Afraid, doubtful, unworthy this morning, will you do what the leper did? Will you forget all those barriers and just fall before him and ask him to hear you and to help you? Understand, the time to approach Jesus is now. It's now that you need him. 
It's now that when you are aware of the fact that you're not worthy to approach him or feel that way, that you need to approach him. Or when you think, oh, he can't help me with my discouragement. He can't help me with my doubt that you need to approach him. All I have to do is fall on your knees and say, Jesus, here's the problem. Here's my struggle. Whatever it is. I'm not feeling worthy. But would you help me? And I'm pretty confident that he will look down at you with eyes full of compassion and wet with tears saying, are you stinking kidding me? Of course I'm willing. I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to touch you. You matter to me. I mean, do you hear the voice of your shepherd calling? I'm willing. I'm willing to help you. I'm willing to help you get past that, to get over that, to get beyond that, to rise above that. Do you hear him saying, come to me, all who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Do you hear him saying, if anyone is thirsty in this dry and desolate world, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Yes, some people got to say, hey, I'm willing. I am willing to help you. To others who experience this healing touch, he's brought you here today to say, be my touch in this world. I understand Jesus did not call us as followers or his church to be a quarantine zone. Think of this this way. Imagine a hospital with this one rule. No germs allowed inside. Uh, Imagine a hospital where the doctor said, it has been a successful day. I was not infected. Now my patients are loaded with filthy germs and they all died. (laughs) But I didn't touch them. I didn't get infected. We are not called to avoid infection. We're called to save souls. It's okay to clap. We're called to touch the lives of hurting people. Understand, to consider our lives or our church a success because we avoided infection and suffering is to make a mockery of the cross. To consider our lives or our church a success because we avoided infection and suffering is to make a mockery of the cross. Amen? We live in a world where sin and suffering and pain are contagious. And so we tend to keep our distance. If we get too close to somebody, we might get infected by their pain. It, it, it may not be convenient. It may not be comfortable. It may be costly. However, we got a slide for this one. I think a, a guy named Irma McManus said this one time. We cannot wash the feet of a dirty world if we refuse to touch those feet. Yeah, yeah we want to make the world better, but we don't want to get too close to the world. And Leonard Sweet said this. Crushed it right here. My man Leonard. What you got, Leonard? When the church stops looking out for the little guys or caring for the bottom of the heap or specializing in the forgotten, the freaks, and the mistakes, it has ceased being the church. Amen? Amen. It ceased being the church. See, God calls you and I to be a healing touch for those who feel left out, who feel unworthy, who feel unacceptable, who feel unclean, who feel like they've been banished to a life outside of the gates. Listen, here's the deal. Sin and suffering are not the only things that are contagious. There are other infectious things. Enthusiasm is infectious. Laughter is infectious. Faith is infectious. Love is infectious. Caring is infectious. You see, the secret of health and spiritual life is not to isolate ourselves from sin and suffering. Besides, it's not possible even if we wanted to. 
No, the secret is to be so, have our life so filled with the love of Jesus, so filled with the Spirit of God, that when you touch the world, it doesn't infect you. Instead, you infect it with the love and the hope and the joy of Christ. One writer calls this the immaculate infection. <laughs> and that's how the kingdom works. Twice in his ministry, Jesus used the image of yeast. In Matthew 16, to talk about how the, the negative and judgmental attitudes of the Pharisees can spread. Well, they sure can, can't they? He got that one right. But, but also to talk about the kingdom. Matthew 13, 33. We're about done. <coughs> Thank you. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast used by a woman making bread. Even though it was a large amount, literally 60 pounds of flour, the yeast permeated every part of the dough. Now, that little bit of yeast does not seem all that much in the flour, right? But the woman puts it in, and then comes back later, and the yeast is spread everywhere. I understand, the flour may not know it, but it doesn't stand a chance. It's just a matter of time. So it is with the kingdom of God. It cannot be stopped. Uh, understand, the darkness does not stand a chance against the love, the hope, the compassion, and touch of Jesus through his followers. It is infectious. It's been infecting people for 2,000 years, and it's never, ever going to stop. Yes, you're helping one person, preparing one meal from the homeless, painting one house, being kind to one person, bringing in just one item for food that we take down to Baker Butler. Or Compassion Saturday, right? Going into the one assisted living room and hugging one resident, taking one goodie to one resident, massaging feet of one resident, cooking one meal for a family at Ronald McDonald House, clearing some debris and straightening up at some camp where some kids are coming, may not seem all that much in this huge flower of need called our hurting world. But look out. Because before long, the kingdom of God will permeate every part of that dough. Amen? Amen. Here's the deal. We must, our king has called us this morning to leave this place and start infecting our world with the compassion, with the love, with the joy, with the hope, with the touch of Jesus. We need to identify who the hurting people are in our world. It might be a neighbor. It might be someone we work with. It might be that person that's difficult to love. It might be that person everyone tries to avoid. It, it might be that child who's had a very difficult home life. It, it might even be someone who's sitting in this very room right now. See, we need to identify the hurt. Uh, identify those who feel that they're on the outside and unworthy and infect them. I call it Identify, then infectify, right? I make that up. Identify, you say then infectify. Identify. Identify. No, then infectify. Come on. Say, then infectify. Then infectify. Identify. Identify. I'm not diseased. I don't have goodies. All right. Identify. And then, and then y'all infectify. Identify, infectify. I love it. 2,000 years ago, a man covered with leprosy came, fell on his knees with his face to the ground, and begged Jesus, if you're willing, you can make me clean. And you know what? I cannot wait to see and hear about the lives that will be infected 
for Jesus. Because of what we decide we're going to do with this truth today. Amen? Amen. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, I'm going to pray us into our time of communion. <coughs> uh, and uh, we have our communion at the various stations. And I hear, I knew I was going to start coughing once when I got done. <coughs> hmm. Okay, sorry. Apologize. Um, but here's the deal. Here's what's going to happen. Someone's going to go let Courtney and the kids know what's happening. Already been done. Sweet. And they're going to come and watch the baptism. All right. And um, Steve Bailey is going to lead you all into communion. And the communion's at the various stations. Um, and, and I'm just here to say this. So I'm going back and, 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 uh, uh, for Liam's baptism. And there's plenty of towels and shorts back there, right? And, and, and if you've never surrendered to Jesus in baptism, why not, right? He said to do it. Why don't you do it? He did it. Why don't you do it, right? You can do that today. There's no reason to wait, right? Now's the day of salvation, right? Or if you want to talk to me later about it, hey, just let me know. If you have younger children, you know, Courtney used with Liam this booklet I put together. You can download it on our website or we can give you a booklet that helps them understand what they're doing and keep that booklet so when they're 30 years old, they can look back and understand that, hey, I knew exactly what I was doing when I surrendered to Jesus, all right? If you need prayer this morning, you know, I'm sure there's someone around you that you know, you know, or if they, even if they don't know, you can grab, you know, some good looking person, you know, like me, you know, and say, hey, you know, uh, I, I'll be, that means there's a lot, if I'm good looking, right, I set the bar real low, so that means everybody, right, you know, if I'm good looking, then there's plenty of people that will pray for you, but, you know, if you're hurting, you know, we, we are, we're a church of messed up people, you know, we get some things right, we get a lot of things wrong, but Jesus is the king, right? And we love him so much. And if you're really hurting, you know, please don't leave here without saying, say, hey, would you, would you mind praying for me? You know, have your eyes open and maybe you see someone that maybe needs prayer this morning. But I'm going to pray us into this song we're about to sing and, and then I'm going to go back there get Liam ready for his, his baptism. So would you guys stand as I pray? Father, we love you. We thank you for this time to be in your house. And God, for those who are struggling, who feel unworthy, who have struggles and issues and stuff in their life. And they know you can, but they just don't think you would do it for them. May they hear your voice today say, I'm willing. Again, may all of us, Lord, who have been touched by your love and compassion, God, open our eyes to all the needs in this world, God. May we each find at least one person this week that we can love on in the name of Jesus. And it's his name we pray. Amen.